Welcome to the Dashboard Effect Podcast. I'm Brick Thompson. And I'm Caleb Oaks. Hey, Caleb, how you doing? Not too bad, Brick. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. So today we're going to continue our How to Succeed in BI series, uh, and we're going to be talking about data sources. Data sources. Essential. A topic near and dear to your heart as a data architect. That's right. All right. Well, let's get right into it. So uh, if if you're doing BI um, and you're thinking about data sources, what are some of the what are some of the things you need to consider? Yeah. So data sources, just in general, real quick, when we say data source, we mean anything that houses data. Obviously, you need data to do BI uh, that you want to report on. Um, so in business, obviously, there's many data sources usually throughout the business. Um, and we want to take a look at what those are how many of them there are, and some of the nuances that we'll get into later on. Okay, sounds good. So you got to first start thinking about which, what data sources do you have access to? What, what are the typical types of data sources that you run into? So there's three primarily. I think we can roughly categorize them into three. Uh, the first one, on-prem hosted database. So that's going to be something that you have somewhere in some location, uh, it's like a server or something in a closet, somebody manages it, um, but you have it. Essentially, you own this database, you have access to it, your IT team can provide you access. Uh, that's on-prem hosted. And I'm assuming you include cloud-hosted databases that you're managing the yeah, same way. that's a good point, right? Because it, be, it could be in the cloud, especially nowadays, right? It might just be on a virtual machine sitting in the cloud, or you, you know, if you're really advanced, um, you do have a cloud database, uh, you know, as a as a PaaS solution or SaaS solution up there. Yeah, yeah. So like an Azure uh, SQL Server, AWS. Uh, Redshift. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, so when you're thinking about this, let's call it on-prem just for the sake of the discussion. Um, I think I think really that's kind of best case for data access because you can get your hands on it. Um, but becoming less and less common. Yeah, right. You have full control over it. So you're not going to run into that stumbling block around just getting getting in there and getting some data. Um, and, and, you know, that's uh, it's really easy to do and it makes it easy for you. Okay. What You said there were three. What's, what's number two? The next one is an API or an application programming interface. Very good. Yep, yep. I'm not sure I would have given that to you off the top of my head. <laughs> but it, it, essentially an API gives you access to, say, a software provider's backend data through uh, some programming languages. Uh, most software providers have them now, um, and you know they should be fairly mature and robust. So those are also a really good option, and they're fairly common. Yeah. So I know a lot of them are good. We've definitely run into some that are not so great, though. Um, you know, I think I think some companies, especially smaller companies, will uh, feel the need to have an API to have their product be complete. Um, but a lot of times it hasn't really been tested hard in the real world. And we've run into that and have had to end up helping those companies improve their API so they actually work. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was one company in particular I can think of. We won't we won't give the name, but uh, I think you had quite a runaround with those guys. Oh, I mean that was that was insane. They this was a long time ago. 
So they were just kind of getting their API off of the ground. So, so give them a little grace, I guess. But they they exposed this API to us, and we were supposed to pull some data out of it. And we, we connected to it, and we were pulling data. Uh, and we noticed, like, this data does not look right at all. Like, this this looks very wrong. Not what we expect. Yeah. Well, and then I think we went a lot of rounds with them sort of saying, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Proving that it wasn't, and then... Help, helping them reprogram. Yeah, ultimately it was a different company's data. Oh, that's right. right. I, I forgot. <laughs> like a big. That's not like not a small mistake. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's not the norm, though. Yeah, but it is something to consider when you're when you're evaluating your data sources and thinking about them. Is you want to know how mature are these things, right? Because you you could run into something like that. And that was only that was the biggest um, you know mistake that that was made during that that whole project by yeah. them but there were plenty of other little ones that delayed things and made things really challenging yeah yeah i, I recall added to the expense of the the project for the client so that was not great but mostly uh they're not like that and can be can be really good to deal with mm-hmm. okay so uh what's the what's the third type of data so the third one funny enough is third-party hosting okay and what's that so that's when you have another company not integrated with yourself or not part of your own software provider that is hosting your data for you. Um, and that one, it's not very common, but we do see it where it'll be some sort of managed services provider that'll be hosting your data for you. Um, and then you have to go through them to get access to it. And typically those providers for good reason have lots of security protocols. They're not going to want to give you access very easily or quickly, uh, it can be a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, and 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 by data, you mean truly a database. Like they might have a SQL Server running on their system, and you have to be able to get access to that to pull the data. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, you know, we also run into clients who will have a ton of data, either in spreadsheets or on paper. Um, and I know that it can be challenging sometimes, you know, spreadsheets you can deal with, but there's a lot of inherent problems with that. We've talked about that on other podcasts. Um, uh, paper's a hard one and we've run into to issues there where, um, companies say, okay, we're, we're converting our paper to a system like into Salesforce, something like that. Um, and that's something to definitely think about as you're evaluating your data sources and which ones you want to work with, because you're a lot more likely to have data issues, data integrity issues with that. That's exactly right. And we, you know, we've had uh, a client in particular that they had data just in filing cabinets, you know, data, it was just a bunch of papers. Um, so it's something to, to consider as you start looking at your data sources is, is this even available somewhere that we can programmatically get to it? Um, with this client in particular, that was in, they just had files. They <clears throat> hired a bunch of interns and they put all this data into, into their system, um, at which a took a really long time and B was fraught with typos. Like they, they'd found the lowest paid people, you know, it's just data entry temps, and there were all kinds of data quality problems. It's really hard to get any sort of good reporting out of it. So another thing that's really important to consider. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to rank these. Best case was an on-prem or cloud hosted that that you're managing database, like a SQL server, either in a closet, which is not so common anymore, but say on Microsoft Azure or AWS. Um, next best is probably the API. Very common, can be excellent, but can have some problems. Um, third best is, or maybe not best actually, <laughs> dealing with third-party hosting because um, you generally are dealing with um, appropriate but difficult to get through security. And then there's kind of a full gamut of other challenging things like clients or yourself. You have a lot of data on paper. How do you deal with that? Yeah, the dreaded access database. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> forgot about those. All right. So as you're looking at all of this, um, you know, it's tempting to think, hey, I can't wait till I have all these data sources uh, around my company into one data warehouse. Just imagine what I can do with it. And that's true. But uh, when you're really trying to have success in BI, especially when you're at the beginning, it's often best if you can start with one data source, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, you don't have to boil the ocean. You can start with one data source, realize some quick wins, get some good value, and then move on to the next one. But what's really important there is that you don't just do that blindly. Um, you do have to have a good methodology for understanding the future and how your data is going to shift and your your database that you're building and you're pulling all these data sources into is going to be modular and scalable enough to where you can bolt on your other sources as you go. So you can start small, but you want to start small smart. Yeah. In other words, be thinking about what are the other sources that are coming in and how am I going to connect these? Actually, we're going to talk about that just in a couple of minutes. Um, you know, thinking about where to start, I think we covered that in an earlier episode uh, of how to succeed in BI. Uh, so you can look for that if you're interested. Any quick thoughts on that? You know, defining your impact. That's I can I could never get sick of saying that. But if you if you're able to do that, like how is how much is this going to impact our business? You already know where to start. Um, you already know what data sources you need. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's more than one. But as long as you've done that, you know where exactly where to start. So you're thinking in terms of ROI, basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. All right, good. So um, a very common thing is data redundancy as you start to build out a system. So let's say you've you've connected one data source and you've built some reporting and you're ready to connect another data source. And um, maybe they're data sources that have some relation to each other. Um, how do you go about engineering that or architecting that so you can can uh, get the best value out of it? It's a good question. Um, and it's something that we run into a lot. The, you know, maybe a good example is you have a customer that is in one of your sources um, and Let's, let's say it's Starbucks, for example. But then you go and acquire another company, uh, but they also have Starbucks as a customer. And you want to see all of Starbucks sales, uh, but those two Starbucks customers are not related at all other than the word Starbucks, but maybe one of them's got a space on the end, so that makes it challenging, or or maybe it's got a typo. Or they put an apostrophe or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. You never know. And so that makes it hard to, to do that connection. Um, so you want to understand, do we have a data redundancy problem here? And is there integration to solve that first? That's the first thing to evaluate. Um, is there integration? Because sometimes 
let's say you do that acquisition and you actually do an integration, a proper integration between your two sources and you, that mapping exercise has already been done. That's a perfect world scenario. Um, not very common. Right. Uh, so most of the time that work falls to BI and reporting. So let's look at an example here. So uh, we were talking before we started recording to try uh, to come up with something that could explain how this works. And, and I think we, had, we came up with a pretty simple example around uh, data having to do with um, field technicians, reps. So let's say, let's say you've got three data sources. You got a field service management system that tells you how much of each of your uh, field technicians is invoicing each day. You have another data source that's a timekeeping system where your um, field technicians put how many hours they're working each day so that they can get paid. And then you have another data source, which is an AR system that tells you how much per hour each field technician gets paid. So you want to pull all these together so you can do all kinds of cool reporting, um, like you know total invoicing per technician for any range of dates or total labor costs per technician, maybe gross profit. Per, per technician calculated as, you know, invoicing minus labor costs, something like that. How do you make that work if these are very different systems? So the dumb answer is Good. to use the name. <laughs> Good. So you use the technician's name. That might get you some matches. Um, probably not, though. Uh, it's probably not going to get you all the way there. Um, you can, you could, what you could do is you could say, well, let's match on the name, but let's go back to the sources and clean up all the names. Not In a, other words, you know, you have an Andy, it's Andy on all systems and not Andrew somewhere, something like that. Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, then you have a full name to deal with and it's not super fun, easy to do the exercise of cleaning all that up unless you have, you know, tens of thousands of field techs. Well, what if you have two John Smiths? Right, right. Maybe you need a middle initial or right. a birthday. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and you could get you could get common matches there too, depending on the size of your data set. Right, exactly. So, so that's not really a good option. Yeah, is it? No. <laughs> so, um, the other way that you could do it, you could do this manually. Is you could say, uh, let's let's choose an identifier from one of the systems. You mentioned an HR system. It's probably a good source of truth for an identifier to the rest of the rest of your systems. And you could go take your HR system employee ID and you could plug it in everywhere else. But what happens when those other systems don't have a place for an employee ID? Right. A custom employee ID. Yeah. So that doesn't really work either. So. So you got to find something else to do. You're being very difficult today. <laughs> this is a tough problem. All right. <laughs> so, so um, what you can do, um, you can use uh, some, what I like to term as reference data. You can think of it as like a master data management type tool. Um, but really you're referencing uh, a good list of data um, to map other data to. So as an example, what you would say is, you know, out of source A or maybe your field service application, here's my technicians. And let's say you say that that, that's probably the the truth. Um, And then you have your HR data and you're going to look at those together and say, I'm pretty sure this is the same record. Um, And then you have to have some sort of manual intervention at some point in the process. There's just just no way around it unless you can do proper integration. So 
just to make sure I'm caught up. So you've said, all right, so my my field uh, service management system is my source of truth. I'm going to assume that all of my employees are in there. And then I'm taking my HR system and somehow I have to get a combined list that maps all of those individual employees to both systems. Yep, that's right. Okay. Now, as I was saying, you, you cannot skip the manual intervention unless you do proper integration, which is totally possible. You could say my field services is a source of truth. When a new employee gets created in there, I want to automatically create a new employee in my HR system and in my payroll system. You can definitely do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Right. There's all sorts of little fun edge cases when you start getting into integration. Um, and what we see is typically people don't, don't do that and they lean on BI to take care of this problem. Okay, so they go ahead and do a manual entry into their field services management system, a manual entry into their HR system, a manual entry into their timekeeping system, mm-hmm. and then probably have made mistakes. So in BI, now you're going to clean it up. Right, right. Because if you think about it, it's usually not the same person doing those entries. Right. Somebody yeah, else. So. Exactly. So anyway, so you, so you, let's say you're not doing proper integration. Be great if you did. You can't do it for whatever reason. Um, so now you're in your data warehouse and you're, you're pulling together these data sets. You have to have some sort of manual intervention at this point to where you can say reasonably, I think that this John Smith is probably this John Smith, but there's three others too. So here's the data for all three of those. Tell me which ones those are. Right. So just a simple little tool to say, we're pretty sure this is it. Just confirm it. Okay. Confirmed. Good to go. And the tool lets you match those to each other. Right. And that's what you mean by confirmation. Exactly. Okay. So, so then you'll then you'll create a tie between the two records. Okay. And then behind the scenes in the data warehouse, how are you managing that? The best way to do that is with a conformed dimension. Um, and the way that we structure conformed dimensions is we'll just pump data from different data sources into the same dimension. So something like employee in this case. It may have data from these three systems in it. So you may see John Smith, the unique John Smith, if you've only got one, show up three times, one for each source system. Okay. So then how do you, when you're doing your reporting, how do you know which one to access? This is where it gets pretty cool, at least I think, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) So the reason why you leave three in there is because when you're doing your ETL, you want to be able to join on your native keys from your source system. So your HR employee ID, your field service employee ID, and your payroll employee ID. You don't want to have to do some crazy SQL gymnastics to go and find the one John Smith based on whatever ID might be in the different columns. It it gets crazy. So you want to leave them separate. Now, what happens is when you get into reporting and proper dimensional modeling and data visualization, your relationships and your modeling tool will handle the relationship and pull in the right value. So technically in the report, you're going to see a different John Smith. If you look at HR data versus um, uh, payroll data, but as soon as you combine those into one chart, the tool will be smart enough to say, this is the same value. Um, And so I'm just going to display it only once and it's going to do the aggregation. So it's like, saying sum up the total hours by person name. As long as the person name is the same, it's going to roll up into one person name, right? Yeah, yeah. 
but but you still have the problem of you have multiple John Smiths, so you're not doing it on the name. You're doing it on some native ID, well, not native ID, but a, a some kind of produced ID in the data warehouse. Right. Well, you know, at this point, hopefully you've you've done all that already, but <laughs> okay. you know, you're you're reporting on it. So essentially, what you've done is you've made the connection, and then in the back end, what your code is going to do is going to update all of the attributes on John Smith's record to be exactly the same with every other record that um, shows up from the source systems. Got it. Okay. So uh, I took you down a rabbit hole there. Sorry. Uh, uh, We have a John here that'll be happy (laughs) that we did that. Um, Okay. So once you've done that, um, and in this particular example, the three systems, I guess you'd be joining on two things. One, One is the employee. Um, and two is the date. The date's much easier. But even then, sometimes different systems have different uh, formats or dates. So when you're doing your ETL work, you have to get those to conform. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about when you're looking at pulling together the different facts, right? So how many how many hours did somebody spend working that day and how much did they invoice and how much did they get paid? Right. Okay. I think uh, that's probably enough on that. Um, you, you use the term MDM. Master data management. There's a lot of tools for that that allow, you know, maybe a less technical person to actually go through and do that matching process. But you have to do it at some point. You have to do it. Yeah, and, and we've even built our own custom stuff in the Microsoft stack using Power Apps and Power BI uh, to do that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you do that, it opens up all all types of opportunities, right? You get to do all that cross referencing of data. Um, and another really common thing that we see with PE firms, particularly when we work with them, is that they need to see the lifetime value of a customer. So back to my earlier example about Starbucks, when you have Starbucks in data source A or from company A, let's say, and then acquisition A comes on board and they also have a customer named Starbucks, it's the same Starbucks. And you want the sales from the acquisition to roll up under the Starbucks from uh, from your other company, so that you have a you have all of the sales accounted for, and you can say this is the lifetime value of this customer now for this newly formed company that we have. Right. Okay. And doing this conforming allows you to do that. That's right. Okay. Um, I can think of a uh, maybe even more complex situation where I mean, you were talking about rolling up companies or or doing add-ons. Uh, acquisitions, if you have more than one ERP in an over, overall organization, like like different ERP systems, um, let's say you bought a company that runs a separate, a different type of ERP system than the main company, um, how do you get that data to come together? Because it's not just, did we name Starbucks the same, but uh, the different ERP systems may have totally different concepts of how they deal with their data. That's a really common scenario where you'll have the same, essentially the same type of data stored in multiple places. So that ERP example is perfect. So, you know, let's say you have a plant um, on the West Coast and you have a plant on the East Coast and they both use a different ERP. Um, They're going to be tracking the same types of things. So, you know, throughput in their plant or, you know, shipments or, you know, invoicing, all that, all that stuff that comes with that. Um, and it's all going to be tracked somewhat differently in those systems. It's not going to be exactly the same. Um, so this is where your database design, your data warehouse design, um, 
has to be really sharp um, and really think about those scenarios. So um, the way that we do it is we use the conform dimensions, which we just talked about, um, to, to pull data from many different places. Um, and even in the case of having the same type of data, but in different tables and structures, same type of concept applies, but with a little nuance where you're going to have the same type of conform dimensions for your customers and employees and things like that. But you're not going to have separate tables that say, oh, here's my fact table that shows HR hours. Here's my fact table that shows how much each technician is paid. Um, what you're going to do is you're going to use your reporting view, which is another layer in your brilliantly designed data warehouse at this point, <laughs> that that molds the sales invoicing, uh, you know, throughput, all that manufacturing type data or whatever you're using at this point uh, to look the same. So the concepts are going to be very similar. So let's take invoicing, for example. You're going to have an invoicing date. You might have payment terms on there. You're going to have an invoice amount. They may not be called that between your two systems, but you can map them together in your reporting view. <clears throat> now, a real, I know I'm talking a lot here. That's good. Keep the going. Real, the real important thing <laughs> with this is that um, you need to leave those two fact tables separate because there's going to be a scenario more than likely at some point in your company's future where you need to do an analysis on the West Coast plants data only and you don't care about the East Coast. And if you have dropped columns that live in the West Coast plants to conform to the East Coast, for example, or just to conform only like columns and, and data, then you've just handicapped yourself and you're setting yourself up for more work. So you have to leave them separate in the data warehouse themselves. You only pull them together in your reporting view. That's where the conforming of your facts go when you're talking about like business areas. Okay, that was that was a, a good explanation, and uh, I think we're going to have to do another episode on that because there's clearly a lot there, and uh, some people might be curious to hear about that. So we're uh, we're almost thirty minutes into this, Caleb. I think we'll go ahead and wrap for today. Uh, appreciate your knowledge bombs you've been dropping; it's been really good. Yeah, thanks, and uh, for anybody that stuck around for that whole diatribe, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, see you.